Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. Edwards retells the following true story to illustrate our need and Christ's response to our need. In August 1957, four climbers, two Italians and two Germans, were climbing the 6,000-foot near-vertical Eiger North Face in the Swiss Alps. The two German climbers disappeared and were never heard from again. The two Italian climbers, exhausted and dying, were stuck on two narrow ledges a thousand feet below the summit. The Swiss Alpine Club forbade rescue attempts in this area because it was too dangerous. But a small group of Swiss climbers decided to launch a private rescue effort to save the Italians. So they carefully lowered a climber named Alfred Hellepart down the 6,000-foot north face. They suspended Hellepart on a thin cable as they lowered him into the abyss. And here's how Hellepart described the rescue in his own words. As I was lowered down the summit, my comrades on top grew further and further distant until they disappeared from sight. At this moment, I felt an indescribable aloneness. Then for the first time, I peered down the abyss of the north face of the Eiger. The terror of the sight robbed me of breath. The brooding darkness of the face Falling away in an almost endless expanse beneath me made me look with awful longing to the thin cable disappearing about me in the mist. I was a tiny human being dangling in space between heaven and hell. The sole relief from terror was my mission to save the climber below. James Edwards continues, he says, That is the heart of the gospel story. We were trapped. But in the person and presence of Jesus Christ, God lowered himself into the abyss of our sin and suffering. He did it to save the people trapped below, you and me. Thus the gospel is much more radical than just another religion telling us how to be good in our own power. It tells us the truth of God's costly, sacrificial rescue effort on our behalf. Now that we have been rescued and reconciled to God by faith in what Christ has done for us, Christ sends us out now to be His rescue workers. We are sent out in Christ's stead as His ambassadors. And our mission, like our Savior, is to rescue others who are in danger of eternity in hell by sharing the gospel of grace and what Christ did for us to save us from it. And that just by trusting that Christ died for our sins and rose again, we are saved, we are rescued, and we have life and life eternal. Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1 says, We then, as workers together with Him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. We then, verse 1 says, or all of us in the body of Christ, not just preachers, not just evangelists, All of us, 
every single member of the body of Christ have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Back in chapter 5 and verse 18, we read that God hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And that's all of us that have believed in the body of Christ and hath given to us, that's again, all of us in the body of Christ, the ministry of reconciliation. Chapter 5, verse 19, it says, And hath committed unto us, all the body of Christ, the word of reconciliation. And verse 20, Now then, we, all the body of Christ, are ambassadors for Christ. And when he goes to chapter 6, verse 1, and he says, We then, he's talking about all of us. All of us in the church, the body of Christ, have been given the duty, the mission, the responsibility to tell the world the gospel. We tell them that they are alienated from God, dead in their trespasses and sins, and that there is only one way to heaven, one way to forgiveness and life. There is one hope, and that is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died and rose again to provide us with salvation from hell and forgiveness of all of our sins. The ministry of reconciliation is about telling people about their alienation from God. We are to confront that alienation and separation because of our sins, and then we are to tell them about the reconciliation that God has made possible. We tell them that God's part in reconciliation is done. He has made the world savable by the cross, by Christ dying for all, as chapter 5, verse 15 says, and because God was in Christ at the cross reconciling the world to him, unto himself, as chapter 5, verse 19 says. So we tell them that the door is open, the bridge is there, the payment's been made to be reconciled to God. All you have to do is receive it by faith in Christ. To make the reconciliation complete, people must simply trust Christ and what He did for you in dying for your sins and rising again. And at that moment, when you place your faith in the finished work of Christ, you are reconciled to God and reconciled to Him forever. And that's what we are called to do as Christ's ambassadors. We also know that those who hear us will be divided into two categories, faith and unbelief. The following is called Letter from College. It says, Dear Dad, school is really great. I'm making lots of friends and studying very hard. I simply can't think of anything I need. So if you would like, you could just send me a card, as I would love to hear from you. Love, your son. The reply came, Dear son, I know that astronomy, economics, and oceanography are enough to keep even an honor student busy. Do not forget that the pursuit of knowledge is a noble task, and you can never study enough. Love that. So many say no to the gospel, even though it is the greatest message of all. It's heartbreaking when they do. But we know that the gospel is a spiritual issue. And we know that the heart can be hardened and deceived and proud. And we know that Satan blinds people to their need. 
2 Corinthians chapter 2, and verses 14 to 16 says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved, and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. The ministry of making known the gospel is a matter of life and death, eternal life and eternal death. As we share the gospel and spread the sweet aroma of the knowledge of the gospel in every place, as Paul talks about there, to those who believe we are a sweet aroma of life unto life, life eternal. To those who do not believe we are a stench of death unto death everlasting death. But Paul says that it is always a sweet aroma to God, and we always triumph in Christ. And he is pleased each and every time that the gospel of grace is shared. When we make Christ known, we always triumph in Christ, it says, regardless of how people respond to it. Of course, we want people to believe when we share, but sometimes we're a link in the chain. Sometimes we're part of the many times people need to hear the gospel before they respond. Some plant the seed of the gospel. Others water that seed. And another comes along and waters it again. And another comes and waters it some more. But it is God that gives the increase. 1 Corinthians 3.7 says, What God looks at and what He is pleased with when we share the gospel is our faithfulness. God's Word never returns void, and He always uses our efforts in making the gospel known, though we may never see exactly how it was used on this side of glory. We will someday. But we live by faith, trusting God, knowing that He's at work. Working in a cooperative effort with God in the gospel ministry is what Paul is talking about here when he says, we then, as workers, together with Him. The first note in that verse that to be ambassadors of Christ in the ministry of reconciliation, that it involves work. We are workers in the gospel ministry. It takes work. It takes time. It takes effort to get the gospel out faithfully. But Paul says we are workers together with Him. You hear people occasionally say something like, you know, I'm really privileged. I'm at this certain university and I get to work with this well-regarded professor. Or I got an internship at a certain hospital and I get to work alongside this certain physician. I got a job in a certain field, and I get to work alongside a person who is respected and gifted in that field. Nothing like that even comes close to comparing the privilege that we have in the church to work together with God. If we understand that in the ministry and that in sharing the gospel, we are involved in a cooperative effort with the living God, That changes everything. That brings a higher perspective to serving the Lord. It brings a dignity. It brings a strength to all that we do. We work together with Almighty God. We are called, gifted, empowered, and placed 
in a strategic location to serve him and share his truth of the gospel with others. The one who breathed out the stars and just spoke galaxies into existence, who set the world on its axis, who created night and day and all things, has allowed us to join him in his ongoing creative work today of making sinners into new creations in Christ. And he has called us to be his ambassadors, his mouthpieces, and for us to work together with him in the gospel ministry. Notice that the words with him in verse 1 is in italics. That means that it does not appear in all the manuscripts in the original. It's been supplied by the translators. But based on the context, it belongs there. The thought is being carried over from chapter 5, verse 20, where it says, As though God did beseech you by us, be ye reconciled to God. In the ministry of reconciliation, we are God's representatives, and through us, God beseeches or begs the unbeliever to be reconciled to God. That brings about a soul-searching question for each of us. Is God pleading with people to be saved through my life? Am I allowing Him to do so? It is God who works through us, to make known the message of reconciliation. It is us working together with Him. It is He working through us to make the truth known. It is us joining our hearts, our vision, and our wills to His, knowing that He loves all people, and Christ died for all. And it's allowing Him to use us to reach out in His power, with His message, with His gospel, his provision of salvation. Each of us are in the ministry. All of us are called to serve the Lord. In life and ministry, this reminds us, though, that we're not in it alone. God is always there with us. We are always working together with him. The following scriptures confirm what 2 Corinthians 6.1 says as well. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, For we are laborers together with God. Philippians 2.13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And Acts 15, speaking of Paul and Barnabas, it says, And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church, and they declared all things that God had done with them. After the Lord's ascension to heaven, the last verse in the book of Mark says, And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. God is working with us and through us. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. Now That I Believe is a 40-page booklet written by Pastor Ricky Kurth. In this booklet, Pastor Kurth guides the newcomer to the faith through the various obstacles that man and Satan put in the way of believers to cause them to stumble. Many wonderful things have happened to you in the spiritual realm now that you have believed. 
It is our prayer that this booklet will help you make spiritual realities actual in your life. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. All of this reminds me of the parable the Lord told in Mark 4 about a man that casts seed into the ground. Mark 4, 27-28 talks about how he sleeps by night, rises by day, and suddenly the seed springs and grows up. And it says, but he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. You could say in the gospel ministry that we are all old so-and-sos. We throw out the seed, and we sow the seed of the gospel, and we sow, and we sow, and we sow. And we go to bed, and we get up, and suddenly there's life, and we don't know how. We don't know how or why what we do results in life, except that we know that we are workers together with God, and God gives the increase. God produces the life. Some years ago, a study was done by an agricultural school in Iowa. It reported that production of 100 bushels of corn from one acre of land required this, 4 million pounds of water, 6,800 pounds of oxygen, 5,200 pounds of carbon, 160 pounds of nitrogen, 125 pounds of potassium, 75 pounds of yellow sulfur, and other elements too numerous to list. In addition to these ingredients, rain and sunshine are required at the right times. Although many, many hours of the farmer's hard labor are needed, it is estimated that only 5% of the produce of a farm can be attributed to the efforts of man. It's the same way in the spiritual realm. God gives the increase. God gives life to our labor. God causes the growth. God produces the fruit. God deserves the praise. And just like a farmer who plants the seeds and there's life and there's transformation because of God, so we throw the seeds of the gospel and it is God who works through our work and He gives the new life, the change, the growth, and the transformation. You know it isn't you. All we do is just share the gospel. And if or when the life comes, it's because of God. And it's because of being workers together with Him, Him working through us. And ours becomes a life-changing life as we allow God to use us to spread the good news. This leads Paul to the next point when he tells the Corinthians that we beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. In chapter 5, verse 20, you have God begging and beseeching unbelievers through us to be reconciled to God. Here, in verse 1 of chapter 6, you have Paul begging and beseeching believers to receive not the grace of God in vain. We have a privilege by grace to be workers together with God. 
And we have a privilege by grace to be representatives of Christ, ambassadors for Him. These verses are carrying on the instruction from chapter 5 concerning our duty as ambassadors for Christ. And those verses are teaching us about the grace of God and being called to participate in the privilege of the ministry of reconciliation. That each one reconciled to God by Christ is called and given the duty to tell people to be reconciled to God by faith. Our reconciliation with God puts each of us into the ministry of reconciliation. But not everyone in the church at Corinth was doing this. They missed their ministry. The word vain there, receive not the grace of God in vain. Vain means empty, without content, useless, fruitless. Receiving the grace of God in vain is just another way of saying 2 Corinthians 5 verse 15, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. When believers live their lives only for themselves rather than for the purposes to which God has called his church, that's receiving the grace of God in vain. Out of gratitude for God's grace, that gratitude is, and the love of Christ is to drive us and constrain us to want to live for and work for the one who gave everything for me and who died for me and saved me from eternity in hell. By inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes and begs these believers to not receive God's grace in vain. This is God's word. So it is God who is ultimately begging His church, begging those who have received God's grace in salvation to take part in the privilege, in the grace of the ministry of reconciliation that He has committed to us. We have a stewardship. We have a responsibility. We have a duty as ambassadors for Christ. Receive not the grace of God is not teaching that the salvation of the Corinthian believers was in jeopardy at all. It is teaching that the salvation of other people is in jeopardy when believers live for themselves and not for the purposes of God and being a light for the gospel. So what does this look like? It means to have a gospel mindset, a gospel worldview, to have your gospel glasses on as you look at people, as you look at life. It doesn't mean you have to go door to door every day to be fulfilling this. It doesn't mean you have to be obnoxious with the gospel. God just wants this to be real. He wants it to be a part of our everyday lifestyle. It means to share the gospel in casual conversation, looking for those windows of opportunity based on what is said. When someone is hurting and needs hope, it's about being there for them, telling about our true hope that we have in Christ means to get gospel tracts and lay them down with your tip at the restaurant or putting tracts in your doctor's office when you go there for the visit or the dentist office or you have to go to the mechanic or when you're at a hotel. When you're on social media like Facebook or Instagram, do a post about the gospel. It means when you pray, to pray for people's salvation. It means to include gospel verses in your Christmas cards or your birthday cards to friends and family. 
It means to put a tract in your bills when you, when you pay them. It means to give toward missions and to give to the local church where the gospel is clearly presented. It means to be a part of the evangelistic outreaches of the local church, to be a part of Vacation Bible School. It means to invite someone to church to sit under the hearing of the gospel. It means to live a life of testimony for Christ so bright, so much so that people wonder why you are different and even sometimes ask you the reason why. You live that way for Christ because you care about people around you and you care about their eternal destinies. Receiving the grace of God in vain is to live a life without aim and without meaning. But when the grace of God is received and it touches your heart, it gives you purpose. It gives you a gospel worldview. And you see the vital importance to be a light and to live for what is important to God. And we know that the souls of people in their eternal destiny is infinitely important to God. Paul pleads with believers here to not restrain the working of the grace of God in their life, but to allow that grace to touch and change their hearts that they might live for the Lord and serve and labor abundantly for Him, knowing that we are workers together with God. Bill Fay, an evangelist who was guest speaker at the Crossroads Bible Church in Bellevue, Washington on Sunday, September 9th, returned to his home Monday, September 10th. On his American Airlines flight, he saw a stewardess breaking up ice with a wine bottle. He got up from his seat and asked her if there, was, if there wasn't another way that she could do it more safely. He said he was afraid she was going to hurt herself. She was moved that he would be so concerned. And Bill then gave her a gospel tract to read when she had a spare moment. Short time later, she found Bill and told him that this was the sixth gospel tract she had received from someone. She asked him, What does God want from me? And Bill responded, Your life. A few minutes later, he was praying with her to accept Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. After September 11th's attacks on the World Trade Towers, Bill looked up the names of those on American Airlines Flight 11, the first plane that crashed into the World Trade Center, and the stewardess's name was on the list. On Tuesday, September 11, 2001, she entered into the eternal presence of her Lord and Savior. Think about those five other gospel tracts, how they had an effect on that stewardess. Now that reminds us that we are workers together with God and how God works through our efforts for Him. And because Bill Fay received not the grace of God in vain and was faithful and available as God's ambassador to share the gospel, this woman was saved before it was too late. And we praise God for that. Thank you for watching Transformed by Grace. Next time, we're going to be looking at the important reminder in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, that now is the day of salvation.
Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.